Hello, and welcome to the Season From Above podcast, Season 13, Episode 1. This season is going to be a little different. Hey, Morgan. Namaste, namaskaram, guten tag, and hello world to everybody listening. I'm totally excited to host Episode 1 and Season 13 together with you, Morgan. This season, ladies of Landsat and Sisters of Sar have taken over the podcast, so you'll be hearing a lot more of our voices and voices of people who might sound like us. Hi, bonjour, and hola. Throughout this season, you'll be hearing from us, our other hosts and contributors, and our amazing guests from all over the globe who will be featured in our upcoming episodes. Our aim is to highlight guests who have shared values and priorities as our organizations with special emphasis and focus on their technical expertise and activities. Our guests this season range from SAR experts, users of UAVs, and scientific leaders from the field. We paid special attention to have diverse representation in terms of thematic area of expertise and geographic locations. That's right. Being hosted by us, the organizing teams of Sisters of SAR and Ladies of Landsat, we'll be keeping inclusivity and representation at the forefront of every episode. As many of you know, the organizing teams of these two organizations consist of women in remote sensing, such as Morgan and I, with different thematic backgrounds and ethnicities. So you can expect to hear not just a variety of topics, but also a range of languages. Totally. And we'll be following the same scene from above structure as before. In each episode, we'll share with you the latest news in the Earth observation realm, as usual, in a news section led by our friend Rafaela, followed by an interview portion with one or many experts in our field. Today's episode will be a little different as we will be introducing the season, our hosts and our contributors all in one episode, followed by the news section from Rafaela. Having said that, I think we should start off with a big thank you to Andrew and Alistair for handing over their prized possession to us. I'm sure it wasn't easy to part with the scene from above podcast podcast after 84 episodes and 12 seasons, and we hope we can carry this forward for at least another 84 episodes. Alistair's also sponsored this year's Podbean subscription, so thank you for that. Thank you, Alistair, and thank you, Andrew, to you both for bringing us here. So let's get started. <laughs> okay, so my name's Morgan Crowley, as Gopika said. I'm a forest fire research scientist with the Canadian Forest Service working on the upcoming wildfire sat satellite mission. Um, in my research, I develop methods for leveraging multi-source satellite observations for fire monitoring and mapping. I'm also an early adopter of Google Earth Engine and now am a Google developer expert for Earth Engine. Um, outside of my work, I'm a proud mother in science, having become a mom in the last stretches of my PhD. And my daughter's a, now a full-blown toddler, and she keeps life very exciting every day. Let's face it, it's not outside of work. It's along with work. <laughs> yeah, I know. As I said that, it's not true at all. Well, my name is Dr. Gopika Suresh. I'm an electronics and communications engineer, a satellite applications engineer, and a synthetic aperture radar scientist. I currently work as a research scientist at the German Federal Agency for Cartography and Geodesy in Frankfurt, Germany. And I've been in this field for about 13 years, working mainly with SAR data for marine applications for land cover applications and for disaster response and mapping. I was born in India in a coastal town called Tiruvananthapuram and after my engineering degree I moved to Germany in 2009 to do my master's and though it wasn't the plan I've uh, lived and I've been working in Germany since then. For my PhD, which I did in Germany, I developed the first ever automatic system to detect marine oil slicks and SAR images and to estimate their source hydrocarbon seeps. 
And after a long span of working in Germany, I moved to Singapore in 2020 to do a postdoc uh, to develop methods for coastline detection from SAR images, which is a topic that's super relevant for South Asia and Southeast Asia. And I also thought it would be nice to be a little closer to India. But COVID happened, travel restrictions came in place. Long story short, I'm back in Germany. I have a one-year-old toddler just like Morgan does. And my baby boy keeps my brain sharp. My multitasking skills are amazing. And until very recently, I was working from home while taking care of my baby at home, which was beyond difficult to say the least. And it's still very difficult and challenging managing everything that we do while taking care of an active toddler or baby. Isn't it, Morgan? Uh, Absolutely, yeah. It's one of the most special things. I feel like we became close as friends outside of also colleagues through Sisters of Star and Ladies of Landsat being pregnant at the same time. We just really ventured into this whole new phase and season of life together, which is very special because um, I think years ago, I wouldn't have understood all of the different um, challenges that we navigate, but also the awesome things that we navigate as moms. And um, so it's so cool to be working with you, Gopika, and to have our little ones the same age basically grow up together yeah in other parts of the world but someday we hope to bring them together in person maybe at a conference or a summit or something that's definitely a goal a conference where there's you know child care and where we can bring our kids yep that's the yes. dream <laughs> Absolutely. That is on the list. Um, Well, thank you, Gopika. So we're going to also give a background, I guess, for folks who haven't heard of our organizations before. Um, So me, Morgan, I'm a co-director of Ladies of Landsat. Um, Ladies of Landsat is a supportive organization for underrepresented remote sensing scientists. And our aim and mission is to make the future of remote sensing uh, more inclusive for everyone. So Ladies of Landsat was founded in 2018 by Dr. Kate Vickers and joined soon after by me and also um, lead organizers, Dr. Flavia D'Souza Mendez, Dr. Krista Straub and Dr. Megan Halibisky. So it's a team of really awesome Ladies of Landsat um, leading Ladies of Landsat. And we have a wide variety of outreach activities um, such as organizing meetups and panels at conferences, a weekly Twitter series that highlights cutting edge research in the field, and even virtual networking activities as well. Um, Oftentimes, obviously, working with you, Gopika, and the team at Sisters of SAR. So if you want to learn more, just want to see what we're up to, you can join us easily on Twitter and LinkedIn um, with the website coming hopefully this fall. Well, that's news. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's on the list, Gopika. There's a lot of things on the list. Well, there you heard it for the first time. We might have been promising this for many years, but it's on its top of the list. So it's oh, not that's too far great. off. I look forward to it. We just channel everyone to Sisters of Sorrow website instead, which works okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, Gopika, can you tell us about Sisters of Sorrow, please? So Sisters of Sorrow, inspired by Ladies of Landsat, and actually Morgan, it's you that penned the name Sisters of Sorrow, so thank you for that. We aim to share the exceptional advancements in SAR research from around the world while showcasing the amazing women in SAR and promoting their accomplishments. We are led, organized, and managed by four women in SAR, Dr. Laura Dingle-Robertson, Dr. Antara Dasgupta, Sarah Banks, and myself. And we have full-time jobs and three of us have kids. We have a Twitter and LinkedIn schedule where on Mondays uh, we promote SAR facts, we promote SAR resources on Tuesday, we give a shout out to another Uh, inclusivity or um, diversity-oriented group on Wednesdays. We repost SAR images with SAR is beautiful, which is a hashtag that we created. And on Fridays, our pride, we feature the outstanding accomplishments, the research stories, and the educational backgrounds of different women in SAR. 
So we started off in April 2020 and we started out officially on Twitter, but we now have a website, as Morgan already said. And you'll also find us on LinkedIn, which we recently launched. Yeah, so if you're a woman in SAR or if you know of a woman in SAR, then find us and nominate them or nominate yourself. We'd love to feature you. I've learned so much more about SAR generally, but also women in SAR, especially from those Friday highlights. And um, it's a lot of work. I know what you do um, as sisters of SAR, but it totally means so much to the field. Um, it's funny, Gopika, I was looking back at a document from 2000. I don't know, 17 or something. It was, or no, 2018. It was, uh, I like mocked up stickers that, oh, we could have different sis, like ladies of Lansa, dames of drones, all these like, and I saw the sisters of Sarwa. It's so like pitiful compared to all that you have done now since then. So it's just, it's awesome to see sisters of Sarwa grow and you all are. Oh, doing a thank great you. Job. That means a lot. It is really empowering to yeah. uh, just know these women inside you know of course we don't know them personally but just featuring them makes us feel like we know them and to see all these women on this one page on the South stars page on the website it is beyond empowering just the sheer amount of women on that page so nobody has an excuse anymore Absolutely. to say you know where are the women just go to the website yeah yeah exactly i also feel like scientifically i learn so much from these features from the star stars from Manuscript Monday, I'm constantly exposed to new research and ideas that are outside of my domain that I wouldn't necessarily read normally, but because of these types of features, it's so, it's, it keeps me on my game, keeps me sharp in terms of what's, what is cutting edge in the field of remote sensing. It's also great just to see, yeah, see where these group, groups are headed, all the things we're working on, and now this whole new venture with this podcast. It's really exciting. So, um, yeah, so thank you, yeah, for these overviews, and now we're going to jump into meeting our awesome co-hosts and contributors for the season. Okay, so today's interview segment will be with the hosts and contributors of the season. We have a great group of women here today to get us going. The structure will be as follows. First, every host or contributor will introduce themselves in a roundtable approach. Then we'll be circling around and asking each person a different question so you listeners can get to know us all in different ways. Welcome, everyone. Can you please introduce yourselves one at a time so everyone can get to know your lovely voices? Right. Thank you so much, ladies, for having me. My name is Dr. Antara Dasgupta, and I work at the intersection of EO and hydrology using tools such as data simulation and deep learning to produce hydrological and climate products. I started my EO journey at the Indian Institute of Remote Sensing, which is the training wing of the Indian Space Research Organization in 2012. I now work as a postdoc at the University of Osnabrück in Germany, and I'm currently visiting the Geoforschungszentrum or the German Institute for Geoscience Research in Potsdam as a visiting postdoc. I actively support uh, Sisters of SAR as a co-lead, and I also mentor underrepresented young scientists through the African Women in GIS's uh, mentoring program. And I primarily use SAR data for my research, which I'm super passionate about and have been lucky to have worked with uh, most of the public and commercial satellites. Hello, hello. Very happy to be here. So I'm Dr. Flavia de Souza Mendes, and I have been working on projects and initiatives in the field of environmental protection and climate change. 
in tropical biomes mostly since 2007, which was when I started my career at the National Institute for Space Research in Brazil. And nowadays I am the program manager of forest and land use at Planet Labs. And I was also nominated this year as a Google expert developer and geospatial rising stars by the geospatial world medium. Um, my expertise lies usually in managing projects and programs in forestry, mostly carbon and land use. Uh, I am an active member of initiatives such as Ladies of Landsat, Ladies of Landsat, one of the lead organizers, and also the RSAT group that work towards a more inclusive and diverse environment in the geospatial sector. And through my large network, I really try to connect companies and institutions in Europe with local scientists and communities in Brazil for a better and greater development, collaboration and inclusion in our sector. Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Kate Figgis. I'm the founder and co-director of Ladies of Landsat. I started Ladies of Landsat in 2018 during my PhD uh, and then found Morgan shortly afterwards and the rest is history. Right now I'm a US Geological Survey Mendenhall postdoctoral fellow at USGS Eros, which is the home of the Landsat program. And I'm faculty at UC Santa Barbara's uh, geography department and that's where I'm actually located. I had the choice between Santa Barbara and Chile Sioux Falls, and I like the sun a little bit better. Uh, with Flavia, I'm also a geospatial rising star of this class of 2022. Um, Career-wise, my background is in novel ways to use spectral time series to classify, map, and monitor aquatic, wetland, and climate-sensitive ecosystems. Um, I'm an optical remote sensing scientist. I love getting involved with Sisters of SAR because I learn so much from them, but I use Landsat, MODIS, Sentinel-2 and 3, and drone data in my everyday work. Uh, and I've worked on the ground using satellite data to help protect public health in recreational waters, where my passion really lies. Thanks for having me. Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Laura Dingle Robertson and I'm a research scientist at Environment and Climate Change Canada, where I'm focused on using SAR for wetlands monitoring and mapping in Canada. And I previously, because uh, this just happened very recently, uh, was a physical scientist at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, where I worked on using SAR, and agri uh, SAR for agriculture mapping and modeling in Canada and also around the world. So obviously I'm very passionate about SAR and I'm a co-lead of the Sisters of SAR Twitter initiative, which we started at the beginning of COVID in March, 2020. Everyone, my name is uh, Sarah Banks and I'm a physical scientist at Environment and Climate Change Canada. I work with Laura. I'm also a PhD student at Carleton University in the Department of Geography and Environmental Studies and a co-contributor to the Sisters of SAR. I've been working with SAR data for over 13 years, first as a student at Carleton for my bachelor's when I worked on wetland mapping with ALOS data, then for my master's where I did some coastal mapping with radar set 2 imagery. I also worked as a student at Agriculture Canada and then spent some time at DLR as a visiting research scientist when I learned how to work with TerraSARX data for coastal mapping again. Uh, for the past eight years, I've been working at Environment Canada, mainly on wetland mapping using SAR data for change detection and uh, time series analysis. And for my PhD, I want to explore estimating biomass in wetlands using SAR data. 
Just awesome stuff. So we also have a very special news correspondent who has joined us today. And Rafaela Tiengo, thank you so much. Uh, we are so excited to work with you this season. Rafaela is a Brazilian geographer. Welcome, Rafaela. So nowadays you're based in the volcanic archipelago of the Azores, which is associated with Portugal, um, where you did your master's of science in volcanology using INSAR data for remote sensing. You also work as a remote sensing and GIS scientist on the Macobios European project. Um, so currently, Rafael, you're a PhD student in engineering and management of the natural environment in Madrid, Spain, with the aim to research remote sensing approaches for land use and land cover change in coastal areas and oceanic islands. Yeah, hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. So what uh, Morgan and I thought we could do just um, to give our listeners a better insight into who we all are is we thought we would ask you all a question that you'd have to answer really quickly. So let's go alphabetically again. Anthra, you're up, but I guess you're used to it. You know, your name starting with A. <laughs> Story of my life. So what brought you to the whole diversity, inclusivity, equity, justice movement? Was there an ouch moment, some instance, something that happened that made you really passionate about the cause? You mean other than living with my face in the world that I live in? <laughs> no. So um, recently, some months ago, I found out that the only African colleague in our research group lived an hour away from our university and this could be okay like in Berlin you know people expect this but I live in a super small university town if you go an hour you've already left the town um, and she lived in this flat because she simply could not get another German landlord to invite her to a house viewing and she never ever brought this up this came out in a totally different context when we were trying to discuss um, planning an event and it made me realize there's so many of these super specific immigrant challenges that make our already difficult academic life even harder. And they're almost always running in parallel as background apps. And yet um, we're not really given any space to discuss this because either it's not affecting the majority or it makes some people uncomfortable. And this support that's typically provided to international researchers is not equitable. Um, as far as I can see in most institutes. So, so far I thought that only I had problems, but then when I saw that almost all of my dark-skinned colleagues faced similar issues and felt like they could not speak up about it, I realized that I have to get more actively involved and do something about it. Well, we're glad you're involved. We're glad to have you on Sisters of Sar, and we're glad to have you here. And I have to tell you, this is something that's happened to me everywhere. It's happened to me in Germany. It's happened to me in Singapore. I almost just think it's always going to happen, you know, but this shouldn't be the norm. You're right. No, of course. And um, I also um, had the same experience in my own flat search. I was finally only given a flat by this um, English dude because uh, he traveled to India at some point and because I had a PhD and I don't know that this should be a requirement to get a flat <laughs> um, if you can pay the rent you should be able to get the flat I mean yeah it's it's a it's a bit annoying <laughs> I'm so sorry that that was your experience in Tara and Gopika and thank you so much for sharing that with us what a huge extra burden to have going on in the background while you're trying to do remote sensing science and just survive in the world um, that 
is very stressful because everyone needs an apartment to live in, especially when you're a student. Um, and an hour is just totally unreasonable to travel every day, twice a day. Um, yeah, wow. Well, thank you and Tara for sharing that. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to uh, what you're talking about and we're really happy to have you here this season. Now I have a question for Flavia. Flavia, what was the most challenging or rewarding thing you've ever experienced in your career? Yeah, that's a very good question. It's difficult to choose one, but I will try it. <laughs> So I think I can, I think, for example, the challenges and the reward I can divide into subsections in personal and professional life, because I think it's in the end, it's all the same, right? They are very transactional. So it affects personally, I think a big challenge was achieving a high degree of my education, even though I came from a working class in Brazil. So being the first one uh, in my family with a high degree. So I think this was a big challenge and I'm very happy also to, to, to got it. And professionally to learn English in order to fulfill my dream of doing a PhD in Europe. And because it's also, I didn't have an opportunity really like before my master having a, doing an English course. So it was pretty hard and trying to get funding to also to do my PhD because in, in I think night maybe uh, most of the Brazilians in Europe they have a good uh, family background and regarding um, having a good financial background and for me wasn't the the case so I had to get funding to come here and reward I think personally something very 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 personally I'm gonna share here uh, but being able to financially support my family and to give the to give my parents the life that they always deserve, but they never had the opportunity to have. So that's something that it's it's every time, every month when I can help them, I I feel I feel very happy, like extremely happy. And last, professionally, I think nowadays to see that I can impact the EO sector, the earth observation sector, with my knowledge in the area of forestry land use, and also in diversity inclusion, uh, principally mentoring young people from underrepresented groups, mostly from Brazil, to help them to go into the sector. Yeah, Flavia, that was super, yeah, I mean, I, I'm relating so hard to all of the things you said right now, I don't, yeah, I'm really happy you made it, and you're such a rock star, keep going. <laughs> I'm really happy you're here too, Flavia. And I, I think what, that's one of the cool things about Earth Observation too, is that it breaks down at least one barrier to entry for a lot of people who are struggling to get into this field and that we have so much free and open data now, whereas before, um, you know, we had to pay and not everyone could afford it, but now we have satellite data to, you know, help people on the ground and um, help their community members uh, with their career, mix their personal and career lives and what the values that are important to them just like you. Yeah, I think I, I, I'm, very, I'm very thankful. And I think this podcast, Sister of Stars, Ladies of Land said, it's, it was kind of a, a reward somehow also that I, that I found in the middle of the way that I think everyone should have this community building. And Ladies of Land said, Sisters of Stars, they, they make a huge impact in the life of many, many women that you girls have no idea where you can reach. So that's impressive. I'm so glad you're here because I got to meet you at the Living Planet <laughs> Symposium and I got to get hugs from you. Javier <laughs> gives good hugs. Oh, I'm jealous here. <laughs> I'm very jealous in Canada. 
Don't worry, Morgan, I'll come hug you. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Flavia. Um, Kate, here's my question to you. What brought you to EO? Was there just one moment? Was it a bunch, like a temporal stack of events? Could you tell us more? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking, Opika. Um, I I grew up in a in the United States in a politically conservative era when things like oil drilling and pipelines and pipelines through some of our national wetlands were just getting started. So it, that got me really fired up from a young age. So I've always had a passion for environmental conservation, um, and I thought you know maybe early on I wanted to be an environmental lawyer, but I couldn't really stay away from my love of science. Uh, and then in undergrad, working as a field ecologist, I chased turtles and wolves around different ecosystems and different conservation projects. And I started to get really frustrated that I, I wasn't feeling empowered to protect large swaths of the landscape or be able to communicate those, uh, you know, how important a single species is to those who had power uh, in conservation. And I found myself using tools like GIS and a little bit of remote sensing to give a bird's eye view, how different landscapes are all connected to each other. Uh, and then, you know, I had this aha moment when I found remote sensing where suddenly you can see through time over the entire world if you want, but if the landscapes that were important to me, you could see things like how in Oregon, farming was encroaching on really important ephemeral wetlands. Um, and I can see that over time to monitor how some of our conservation projects are going. Um, and then in Yellowstone, how riparian ecosystems had grown after wolf reintroduction. And suddenly this new world was opened up to me where, where Landsat in particular acted as a time machine where I could travel back in time and see these really distinct events happen um, you know, at a couple clicks of a button. And that's when, that's when I was hooked. It's so awesome to hear your story, Kate, that like, I remember the first time I met you and I heard about your passion with conservation and how that drove your like science. And I just think it's so awesome to hear about people's values behind their earth observation science, because it's such an amazing tool to be able to use for that. And it's awesome to see what you're doing. <laughs> Laura, we have a question for you. How has Earth Observation Sciences changed since you first started out in the field? Well, so I started out in the field hmm, a long time ago, which was probably in my undergrad, which would have been around 2004, 2003. But particularly during my master's in 2005, which was at Carleton University here in Ottawa in Canada, I used just two Landsat scenes, one from 1995 and one for 2005 to classify the land use land change cover in Eastern Ontario, which just seems crazy at this point because of who would use just two scenes to classify land use land cover change. But we had to because we had to pay for them and they were a lot of money. And so that was before Landsat's open data policy came into effect, which ladies, I think it was 2008, but you guys can <laughs> correct me. Um, so the biggest change for me, I think, is the amount of new data being collected and that it's being made freely available. So like the Landsats, like Sentinels, like NISAR will be, or NISAR, however you want to say it, um, and all these other new satellites that are taking on an open data policy, which, you know, in Canada, we we kind of struggle with that because of some of our legislation. So having an open data policy has been really a game changer for a lot of people and a lot of people around the world. It's pretty exciting. One, one little maybe meso-known fact about the free and open data policies that a lady of Landsat 
Barb Ryan was behind um, behind that initiative. A lot of people helped come bring it together to make it uh, a realization, but a lady of Lanzat was behind that big and momentous change. And this is why we strive for inclusivity in this field. Absolutely. Okay, thank you so much, Laura. Uh, we'll now head off to Sarah. And Sarah, um, I know this because you say it quite often, but I think our viewers or our listeners would also really like to know whether you've had uh, the pleasure of knowing an EO mentor and or who's been, who, who's been your role model in this field? Well, I do say it a lot, but um, the name that really comes to mind, there, there have been a few throughout the years, but one name in particular that comes to mind is Dr. Heather McNairn, who is at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. And embarrassingly, I'll, I'll add Laura now as well. Oh, thanks, um, Sarah. <laughs> you know, I when I was coming up and as a student working at Agriculture Canada, Heather and, and Laura, too, also during my bachelor's and undergrad, um, she was my TA. Um, they both were leading women, strong women doing good science, good quality science. And it was really influential. And, um, you know, I feel super lucky to have had the example of these strong women working in science at a time when there weren't very many. And so I, I feel super lucky to have had that experience. And also, I'm going back to school now and doing my PhD with two kids. And Laura and Heather are also both women that did their PhD when they both had two kids. Um, so I, I really admire that hard work, that perseverance, the spirit um, that that takes. And I really am happy to have had both of them as examples in my life. Thank you. It was, uh, I, it was really honestly a good positive experience seeing someone uh, go through the PhD experience and have children and to be able to do it successfully. Yeah. And I, I should also mention Morgan. Um, she had a child also and all the other women out there that um, are having children and doing school. It's, uh, it's kind of a crazy endeavor, but uh, it's possible. So anyone out there who you know, is thinking about it, it, it has, it's, it's possible and lots of people have done it. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Sarah, thank you for that. Absolutely. Like having my baby during my PhD, when I meet someone else who had a baby during their PhD, it made me feel like I just wasn't alone and that it was possible and I was like look at these ladies they're so awesome and they're doing it and then like those early months when everything's hard and I remember being on a panel with you then and just like it just there's a lot that affects you in that time and to be able to have other people who are going through these major life changes or went through them and they're on the other side it so special. We go peek in. I chatted about this a little bit in our intro about like we both had our babies at nearly the exact same time and how it's just such a special thing to to have. It's like this cool mom club, mom and STEM club that I never knew existed or that I needed to be a part of. <laughs> but <laughs> and I just uh, wanted to say that I basically packed my house and I moved countries internationally when I was four months pregnant. So I was like a little <laughs> hermit crab carrying everything on my back and moving <laughs> while Maybe creating yeah. life. <laughs> I like wouldn't even go into the car when I was four months pregnant. <laughs> like, <laughs> countries. And this was in the middle of a pandemic, mind you. <laughs> 
I was just going to pour on the admiration. Flavia and I talked about this at lunch one day at Forestat about how important it is to have representation for those of us who don't have children, uh, have representation of women who have come before us and, and blazed a trail um, showing us that it's possible, remaining in your values, remaining part of you know the, the things that you want to accomplish, um, but doing it while balancing what's important. And, and yeah, it's a huge amount of admiration to all of you who have done it. Uh, it doesn't go unnoticed by those of us who are not in the cool mom STEM club. Well, thank you all for giving our listeners insights into who you are. Well, Morgan, it's now your turn. Tell us something that no one in this field knows about you. Okay, yeah. So I, I'm sure I've told one or two people this, but it's kind of a funny fact that um, when I, I think I was in sixth grade, we went on a field trip to Washington, D.C. I grew up in New Hampshire, so it's like our big, massive, like, middle school field trip. Um, and I... I became an Earth observation scientist. There was a booth that used Google Earth. It was one of the early prototypes where you could type in your address and see your house from above and everyone was fighting over trying to get a seat to look at it. This is like early 2000s, by the way, for you all. So even though it might seem like I only started using Google Earth uh, like in the 2015 time period when I started using Earth Engine, I was using it in sixth grade. So that's my little known fact that it wasn't Esri or Envy that got me into remote sensing. It was Google Earth. <laughs> Thank you, Morgan. Um, and I think it's pretty apt that you are, you know, a Google developer expert. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think so too. It's full circle. That's why I always get so giddy going to any Google events because I remember trying to get a seat at this exhibit to type in my address and see my parents' cars and all that stuff. <laughs> I'm sure you inspire a lot of people right now just with those words. <laughs> Thank you, Gopika. Well, Gopika, now it's your turn. Your turn also. So what was the most challenging or rewarding thing you've ever experienced in your career? Um, yeah, so I'm a huge Star Trek fan. Everybody knows this. Uh, well, all of you know this, but I'm a huge Star, Star Trek fan. And uh, that's basically the reason I got into satellites and everything else. So the most rewarding thing about being in this field is that I do what they did, basically. I mean, a lot of what Data and Spock did is remote sensing, <laughs> and which is exactly what I do. So that's totally rewarding. And just the fact that, you know, I use SAR data for it as well is, I don't know, it's just the icing on top of the cake. And the most challenging thing in this field is this feeling of being invisible uh, or feeling hyper-visible, of uh, being the sole woman or the sole woman of color, of just having people look through you because, you know, they think you just look like all the other people of your ethnicity, of walking through corridors, seeing somebody that you actually had a meeting with yesterday, but, you know, not having them meet your eye because they don't know your name. They cannot pronounce your name. So yeah, uh, when I did my engineering in India, we had uh, a balanced gender ratio, but that flew out of the window the day I came to Germany to study. And ever since that, it's really just been uh, women in the minority, women of color being almost non-existent in certain fields or certain areas here in Germany. I've been working mostly in Germany. So yeah, this whole, this whole feeling of just being invisible and feeling like no matter how many educational certificates you get no matter how much you try to fit in you know you learn the language you learn everything else 
but still you won't fit in because you are not, let's face it, you're not white. That's the hardest thing. And that's also one of the reasons why a lot of people, including me, contemplate whether we want to stay um, as an immigrant in a certain country. And yeah, sure, we can always go back to where we came from. But after investing so much of time and effort into this field in this country, I've been here for 12 years. It's not like it's that easy to just pack up and go home, you know? Thank you for sharing about that, Gopika. It definitely sounds there's so many rewarding parts of your job, but that part of feeling invisible is just not not okay because you contribute so much to the field and you're such a core part of so many uh, organizations and so much science that it, everyone should look at you the same way that we do, which is like a rock star. Thank you. Well, that's why we do what we do, right? We're trying to make, uh, we're trying to set things or at least make things balanced for other people in the field, you know, who, because we've had our fair of struggles and challenges and it's not like they won't, they'll have their own challenges and struggles, but let's try to at least make things a little even for them, like sort things out. Absolutely. Thank you, Gopika. So we're slowly getting to the last bit of our podcast. We plan to have the news at the beginning of each podcast episode, but today we're doing a little bit different. So we're going to have it towards the end because Rafaela, here we go. Here is your question. Uh, tell us the latest and greatest news that you'd like to share with the listeners. Um, we're so excited to hear from you. Thank you so much, Morgan. Let's go to the news. According to NASA's statement, the Sentinel-1A was forced to avoid a collision. The operators carry out six Tristan's borns to take Sentinel-1A over 1.5 kilometers clear of the object's estimated location and return it back to its nominal orbit. Yeah, and it was an unknown piece of debris, right? Yes, Gopika, that's right. The first two hyperspectral satellites from planet Planet for 2023. These future hyperspectral satellites will be named Tenegar and are designed to deliver hyperspectral data at a resolution of 30 meters with over 400 spectral bands. The hyperspectral data holds immense potential to support applications in industries such as agriculture, defense and intelligence, energy, civil government, and mining. Yes, that's very exciting news, actually. I have been working with hyperspectral image in my master, and I was impressed by how many information we can extract, actually. And I think the interesting thing about the satellite that we can really merge with other high spatial resolution satellites, for example, and try to extract different data. Uh, I know that they have, a, I think, um, a high precision short wave infrared, five nanometers wide band. So this is going to add so much information into what we already can have for example, SAR, the, where we can get more the structure of forest, for example, we can really uh, map and try to see the, the health of the vegetation, for example. Yes, Flavia, exactly. So, Rafaela, what is the impact of this new hyperspectral satellite on the EO community? Beyond offering methane and CO2 signatures, um, the satellite will provide customers with data for dozens of other environmental applications and indicators that are needed to closely monitor the health of the planet. And this hyperspectral offer will help organizations 
understand chains on land and at sea from coastal zones to forest and to urban areas and more. It's interesting to mention the hype spatial resolution also, which is very relevant for environmental applications and analysis. Sometimes the spatial resolution is trouble using standard hyperspectral sensors. So that will be good for the community for sure. Well, great. Rafaela, do you want to give us one more highlight? Yes, Morgan. The Sentinel Hub Your Browser has some updates, such as petabytes of new data, planet, planet scope subscription, mood language support, time lapse and 3D improvements, based geometry support, advanced Sentinel One options, and more. So check out the new browser and improve your geospatial analysis. Thank you, Rafaela, for giving us the latest news. So at this point, I think it's also very important for us to say that uh, Rafaela here has a newsletter where she has got tons more of hot facts and information, including information and news about NASA's DART mission. Yeah, subscribe to the newsletter. Rafaela, do you want to say something? Thank you so much, Gopika. These and other geonews, courses, conferences, workshops, and more, you can read in my newsletter. The link is in the description of this episode. Feel free to subscribe. Absolutely. Thank you. Go subscribe, everyone. Well, Gopika, that was a pretty awesome conversation. I'm so excited to work with everyone on this season. Um, this isn't something I would normally say yes to, so it takes a lot of special people to get me on board. This is really exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's not like we have a lot of time on our hands to, you know, indulge in other things that might make us happy. So we're doing it for because, you know, we are really passionate about uh, who we are working with and what we're doing. Absolutely. I'm passionate about the scene from above community and continuing that legacy that Alistair and Andrew really started. Um, so to round out this conversation, we'd really like to thank our friends at Geo Awesomeness who are supporting season 13 of Seen From Above. To thank them for their support for this season, we'll be ending each episode with a shout out to one of their articles on their recently launched EO Hub with Up42. So this episode, we'd like to turn your attention to our jointly authored article, recapping our panel at Living Planet Symposium about making our field more inclusive. In the article, Gopika, Flavia, and myself give an overview of our panelists, the conversation, and actions that you can take to be more inclusive and representative. It's an awesome resource and was an inspiring panel to help organize. So check out the link to the article in the episode's resources below to learn more. Um, so thanks, Geo Awesomeness. Thank you also to Geo Awesomeness for sponsoring four mics for this season. We really appreciate it. Well, we plan on leaving off each episode with hints about who we're going to be interviewing next. So this next episode is going to feature a woman who was in the military, who works with drones, and we'll be talking about sea cucumber poop. Uh, I'm so excited for this episode, Gopika. Um, listeners, if you have any guesses, you can always put it in our um, Twitter pages, respond to this, uh, this post when we post about it, and it'll be interesting to hear who can guess who we're having next. Um, maybe we'll, you'll get a free sticker or something out of your guessing right, um, the first person who guesses right. So 
Thank you. Um, yeah, this episode was led and coordinated by myself, Dr. Morgan Crowley. And me, Dr. Gopika Suresh. And the audio editing was conducted by me, so I hope everything turns out well. Um, just remember, we're humans first, and EO science is what we do. So be kind, be empathetic, and be creative. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Thank you for listening, everybody. Until next time, stay safe. And live long and prosper. <laughs> <laughs> So glad you're here because I got to meet you at the Living Planet Symposium <laughs> and I got to get hugs from you. Javier gives good hugs. I'm jealous here. <laughs> I'm very jealous in Canada. Don't worry, Morgan, I'll come hug you.